This is Six Foot Plus, brought to you by Gravediggers Local 16. since Anti-World came onto the scene. You heard The Pit and the Pendulum, originally found on The Phantom, but it's now available on last year's release, Bloody Classics. When the death rock band isn't bringing it to the stage, they're set up in the Pacific Northwest, 
with Another State of Mind, located out in Portland. It's the premier dark punk, goth, and metal store around. Find them online at anotherstateofmind.net. Welcome to another episode of Six Foot Plus. Glad to have you with us. This episode celebrates Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft, two classic and very influential American horror writers. Poe, born in 1809 and dead a mere 40 years later, is a man known for his short stories and poems. Such required reading for elementary school are the classics The Raven and The Tell-Tale Heart, two stories of which capture the Victorian sense of the fearful and the macabre. Many of his works have been adapted to stage and screen. Roger Corman and Vincent Price produced a series of now classic renditions, though your definition of classic may vary. One of the latest celluloid creations is a fictionalized version of Edgar Allan Poe that comes out in six weeks. John Cusack stars in The Raven, and it looks ridiculous. Hopefully it won't suck, but it probably will. Always a heavy drinker, the real Edgar Allan Poe died from a plethora of maladies. The fatal one was never identified. Death followed the man as alcoholism took the life of his older brother and tuberculosis killed his first wife. In fact, his wife's struggle with the illness has been accredited with influencing his most famous works, notably The Raven. Here now are Children of October and their ode to that iconic piece of horror literature.
no longer with us, the band Lurking Fear have gone off into the deep of Innsmouth Bay. Hmm. What do you do you see? Do you see that? What what is that? That what is what's coming out of the surf? It it looks like it is. It is. Look. It's the Monster Map Minute. Cool morning, maniacs. <laughs> yes, it is your fiend, yours drooly. Monster Matt Patterson here with the Monster Matt Minute. What do you get when you cross Herbert West with a god from Asgard? You get the Reanime Four. <laughs> that was awful. Oof. Where does H.P. Lovecraft like to shop? Bed Bath and From Beyond. <laughs> and let's switch it over to Agar Allan Poe, shall we? The Raven quoth, "Nevermore." The Snooky quoth, "I'm going to Jersey Shore." <laughs> Thank you, maniacs. <laughs> oh, that was awful. That was Monster Matt Patterson. You can get a copy of his book, Monster Matt's Bad Monster Jokes, Volume 1, from WestNet Books, and at various online retailers such as Amazon and Barnes & Noble.
blocking me. And there it is, just pulsing and pulsing and pulsing. It's pounding in my head and in the walls and in the floor. There it is. Can't I hear it? Arkham's kicking off that set with On the Road to Arkham. There are two creations that Lovecraft is mostly known for, Cthulhu and the town of Arkham. Arkham's Miskatonic University and Mental Asylum have transcended Lovecraft to now inhabit the creative worlds of others. It was 50 years after Edgar Allan Poe's death when Howard Phillips Lovecraft was born. Recently, with the internet taking a hold of the Cthulhu mythos, 
Lovecraft has enjoyed a surge in popularity unimagined in his lifetime. Whereas Poe is associated with Baltimore and Philadelphia, Lovecraft is primarily connected with Providence, Rhode Island. A disastrous move to the neighborhood of Red Hook in Brooklyn would lead to a wonderful but not so subtly racist story as Lovecraft was an Anglophile to the fullest. He would eventually return to Providence, staying there until he died. Cancer would take Lovecraft in 1937, and it would be 40 years after his death when he would finally receive a proper headstone, due solely to the efforts of some dedicated fans. Fans like those in the band Frankenstein would pay tribute with such songs as Lovecraft, which you heard. They followed the Gravetones, who crooned about the Tell-Tale Heart. One of the more creepy poems from Edgar Allan Poe is one that shares the title of our next song. Conqueror Worm, if you don't know it, is a poem that you definitely should search out. It's a quick read, but very bleak and slightly disturbing with its celestial and creative imagery. A great rendition of such is this, Conqueror Worm by legendary underground musician Don Howland. Thank you. 
Hello, Sonny. I suppose you know. without them now. It's almost like they're family. It is with great pleasure that we now present to you the debut of another addition to Six Foot Plus, The Metal Moor. This is The Metal Moor, dissecting the best and worst horror movies and music that rock with your host, Dr. Gang Green. here to rehearse our new album. Oh, or lose our advance. Or lose our advance. We've got a month to come up with 10 minutes of new good material. 
and we're not going anywhere until we do. Friggin' great. But why Canada? Because Toronto's where it's happening, man. The music, the film industry, the arts. Hey, Fright fans, we're here with John Thor, the one and only Thor from Rock and Roll Nightmare. He's a musician, a uh, bodybuilder, a uh, actor. He does it all. Thor, how you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, I extend a handshake across the miles to the south from the north. Uh, how are you doing there, Dr. Gangrene? It's great to, to talk to you after all this time. Yeah, great to hear, hear talk to you too and hear from you. Uh, it's been a few years since we got you down to Nashville. Yes, and that's one of the greatest gigs I've ever had. Uh, I thought it was a, a really enthusiastic crowd. And Nashville, you know, being Music City, uh, people knew their stuff. And uh, that place was packed, and we were rocked rocking the city that night. Absolutely. Well, we'll get you back down here because I understand you've got a new album out. Is that right? That's right. We just uh, released a new album on, on A389 Records. It's called Thor's Teeth. Thor's Teeth. <laughs> yeah. And and tell them, tell them about the promo they get with that. Yeah, we get a promo where you get a box of uh, Thor's Teeth that were broken during bending steel bars uh, with every <laughs> album sold. Well, I actually saw you for real break a, a tooth here in Nashville during one of the shows. That's right. So you add that up, uh, a tooth in every city, and you're doing uh, 300 shows a year, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. That well, makes a few boxes anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about um, Rock and Roll Nightmare. Rock and Roll Nightmare. 1987. So now you wrote the uh, wrote the script for Rock and Roll Nightmare. Is that right? That's right. Wrote the script, and uh, I, I based it. Uh, always wanted to do a, a film, um, sort of a combination of uh, Hercules and, and Superman mixed with horror. Um, and and uh, you know, I was a, I was a Superman fanatic since I was a kid, and the idea of a super being who comes to Earth and has to do battle on Earth, which is what Hercules did, which is what Thor did, which, which is the story of Superman, right? A, a, an alien sent to Earth, um, or a super being. In, in my case, we, we made it where it was an archangel. You know, an archangel came to Earth and had to do battle on Earth. <laughs> I am Triton, the Archangel. You've overstepped your line again, Bob. Okay, so I understand it was pretty cold up there at the time you were shooting. Um, you were running around in a metal loincloth. You had to have been freezing. Very much so. And um, when we first got up there, we started filming, uh, the weather was quite mild. It just suddenly dropped down to 30 below, just like that. And that's how it is uh, when you're in Ontario. In, in, in the October, November area, right? It, mm -hmm. uh, it'll drop just like that. And then there was no heat in the, in the barn where we were filming uh, uh, some of the scenes, you know, I mean, the metal loincloth. Yeah, it was, I was freezing my butt off, literally. Yeah, I read, was reading an interview uh, with John Fasano, and he said that one of the camera guys' face actually uh, froze to the camera when he was shooting that that outside shot of the house. That's right, it did. It did. Uh, you know, uh, everybody was really, really cold, and and after that, we were so happy, uh, especially me, when the scene was over, to get a nice 
Now, there is a very prominent Coke can in several of the shots. Did you guys get a sponsorship from Coke? Yes, uh, we survived on Coke, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or should I say Coca-Cola? Yeah. Because um, it was the 80s. But, uh, you know, we had uh, a Coca-Cola in Canada said, look, we'll supply you if you show a, you know, a few you know, shots of the can, you know, we'll give you, a, you know, multiple crates of, of Coke. I think they brought it, brought it in with a big truck and, and forklifted it out. And we had Coca-Cola, uh, you know, and that's what we were drinking. We got a little, quite a sugar high on that. But uh, that, <laughs> that definitely was the beverage of the movie. <laughs> definitely. It's, it's in several shots pretty prominent. Yes. Now, you worked with John Fasano. You guys were already friends, right? Yes, we worked uh, previously in Zombie Nightmare. Which there's no relation, even though they both have Nightmare in the, in the title. Nightmare to film as well. Uh, <laughs> that was any relation. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, John Sano, I think, is a genius, uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, director, uh, producer, and a writer on his own accord, uh, having been involved with various uh, horror movies and a uh, famous movie, Another 48 Hours. He was a co writer on that. And uh, I had just. Uh, um, starred in a movie called Recruits, which did very well, and John saw me in Recruits, and, and he recruited me uh, to be the monster, uh, and of course, knowing I love monsters and playing monsters, uh, I was a zombie monster in a zombie nightmare. The voodoo woman explained it to me on the way over, Frank. She made this kid a zombie so it would avenge itself against its murderers. And so from there, you guys decided to get together and make this movie. Now, did you write the script first, or did he sort of come to you and say, hey, you know, we need a... How did that come about? Um, well, as I said, I always wanted to do a, a film uh, about uh, a superhero character mixed before. And so I started uh, writing the synopsis and uh, presented to John and said, just, hey, elaborate on that, elaborate on that. Of course, I took his input that he gave me that we could add this and add that and I came up with the full uh, script. Now that ending is absolutely nuts. Did uh, did you plan from, from the get-go to kind of go over the top with it or was it something that you kind of, as you guys were going along, go, hey, we got to kick this up a notch? Yeah, uh, that's how it was. Uh, you know, where, you know, let's come up. I always love a movie that has a twisted ending or a very surprise ending. You mm-hmm. don't want the cliche ending. Right, uh, that oh yeah, I know that's gonna happen. This is gonna happen, and you know the monster. You know the monster movie. The monsters uh, is gonna get killed, or you know, uh, you know King Kong's gonna fall off the Empire State Building. One of my favorite movies, but you knew he was gonna get it in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, this just had a, just I think a very unique twist. You had people had no idea, you know, it came up, uh, out of nowhere, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I firmly did that. I wanted the element of surprise. Yeah. No, and obviously you weren't uh, afraid of going over the top and, in fact, seemed to quite embrace it with the with the rubber puppets and the outlandish costumes and whatnot. Well, you know, we originally wanted to have a multi-million dollar script. That was the idea. But the knowing we only had so much of a budget we had to do what we could do with what we had and and uh for example the you know a lot of the puppets were actually supposed to be 
Munchausen type of uh, monsters, you know, that, you know, some special, you know, really excellent special effects. Uh, you know, I was going to sprout metal wings and fly around instead of just having a cape and a metal codpiece. You know, there was a lot of plans. And um, one thing that we want to do, hopefully, and we've been talk talking to different <clears throat> investors on this, is to do a, you know, what happens if we do Intercessor in this modern age of all this special effect technology and digital technology available to us and, and make a you know, $30 million picture? Yeah. What would the inter you know, what would rock and roll nightmare be like, you know, or what would the intercessor be like sure. uh, in this in this modern age? Or maybe it would just lose its charm that it has. Maybe it, uh, we'd have all the bells and whistles, and I'd be flying around, you know, with wings and battles, mm -hmm. uh, evil demons uh, and spawns that look very realistic. Uh, but yet maybe that charm of the little puppets and, you know, sure. squids that I'm uh, uh, trying to catch to make them stick on me. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the, the fun of the movie. Well, it is. And, you know, that's that's everybody's favorite parts is, is all that, what exactly what you mentioned, all that stuff that now becomes the charm of it. Um, but more than anything else, I think, for me, it's the rock and roll aspect of it combined with all of that and, and the fact that you were able to work in the music of Thor, of course, it's it's credited to the Thor and the Tritons, but it's your band, right, doing the music? Yeah, so actually, um, you know, what I did at the time, I wanted to branch out and form another band, uh, so I called it the Tritons. Actually, I was going to have an alternate band of Thor and then, we, you know, tour with the, with the band called the Tritons. Uh, and so those, those uh, uh, songs were especially written for... The movie, and I think it has an excellent soundtrack. We, uh, interestingly enough, we uh, recorded at Triton Sound in Toronto. Um, so, uh, but the the music itself, uh, you know, even though we didn't get a lot of radio play, actually, uh, they're still hits. Maybe they've become hits and transcended time, and were handed down generation to generation because of the movie. And then, of course, it got the movie got re-released. And so we've got young, young kids always requesting energy or requesting we live to rock. And, and you know, when I go on tour, I'm over in Europe, uh, and people are uh, yelling for we live to rock and energy and all these songs from the movie. Oh, and yeah. Absolutely astounding. You know, when a 10-year-old you know, kid in Finland is singing we live to rock. And, I, you know, it just, you know, sometimes makes me shake my head the power of music. Come on, let's tune our weapons. I just find it, you know, you know, John and I wanted to make a, a movie that we could actually get a little distribution on, right? Uh, I mean, we had big plans for for the multi-million dollar movie. When that didn't work, we decided to go work with our little budget we had, and then, 
you know, hey, if we can get a little distribution, wonderful. I had no idea that it was going to get all these accolades and, and, and just, you know, cult following that continues to grow and, and where, you know, the, the music and the movie itself stand the test of time. Yeah, I think he hit the nail on, on the head with that word, with cult. It's definitely become a cult movie. So uh, that's, yeah. I think, what's made it, it made it endure the test of time, as you say. Yes, absolutely. And um, if, if uh, you know, like so many remakes, you know, like uh, I just, uh, you know, watched The Thing recently, which, which was uh, a continuation or a, pre, a prelude, actually. It was a prelude to The Thing that, by John Carpenter. Right. The first one of my movies before that was the thing from another world uh, with James Arness as, you know, the carrot creature, uh, which is sort of like Frankenstein. Um, and uh, so I'm thinking that maybe Rock and the Lightmare at one time, you know, it doesn't have to star me or anything, but I, I do think, you know, of course, John Stano and I hold the rights. We, we, we feel that, and we, as we said, we were talking to different producers and investors that, you know, let's let's do maybe Rock and Roll Nightmare as a, a really big picture and just see what, you know see how it's uh, uh, how it's how people take it. Right? I, I think it could be a very big success. Uh, uh, all, you know, to go from a cult film, you know, uh, to you know mainstream. Yeah, might be an interesting thing to see how it, you know how it turns out. Yeah, and uh, only time will tell. We'll we'll see what happens with that. Very cool. Well, um, I wish you all the best there. And, you know, when you're touring with Thor's Teeth, I know we're going to have to get you down to Nashville. Absolutely. And uh, we'll bring, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a whole trunk of teeth, you know. Uh, <laughs> Throw them out in the audience. I'll gum that steel bar, but I'll bend it. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> well, all right, man. Well, hey, it was great talking with you. And, um, yeah. you know, we'll stay in touch and we'll see what we can do about that tour. Absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, please say hello to all my friends in Nashville. I think Nashville is an incredible town, a great rock town, and uh, and I appreciate all the support I got last time, and look forward to seeing you and everybody when we come to town.
find out more about Dr. Gangrene and Metal Morgue, go to evilamp.com.
the Mysterons with The Raven's Eye. You can download that album, Via Con Diablos, and a huge amount of other free music over at bloodandtongue.net. We'll post a link up over at our website, and you can go acquaint yourself with the Mysterons and all the other sounds coming from Mr. Fist. While you're at it, make sure to head on over to Facebook and like us. You can find our page at facebook.com slash sixfootplus. You can like Gravediggers Local 16 on Facebook at facebook.com slash gravediggerslocal. On Twitter, it's at sixfootplus and at gdl16. That's the number six, F-T-P-L-U-S just like our website, sixfootplus.com. Welcome to the GDL 16 recap. Since last time, Gravedigger's Local 16 provided a second review of Haunted Hot Sauce, with Strange Jason talking about the hotter products offered at hauntedhotsauce.com. Atomic Mystery Monster shared a mashup of the beloved children's program, Pingu, with John Carpenter's The Thing, Thingu. And the Tuesday Etsy Spotlight featured the jewelry of both Urhammer Arts and Angel Q Expressions. Read all of these and more over at gravediggerslocal.com.
taking their name from a pagan god of antiquity that saw itself resurrected in the prose of Lovecraft, the Dagons brought us some Panic in the Snake House. Since we've dodged the slithering vipers, it's perfect to dig in three feet deep. Who better to go along with us in the mind of Lovecraft than the number one Lovecraftian band ever? The darkest of the hillside thickets. With elaborate costumes and a great stage show, the thickets have developed an appropriate cult following, despite not playing that many shows as of late. That's mainly due to the band's other lives. For example, Torin Atkinson, lead singer and co-creator of the band, is a noted artist and writer for Dungeons and & Dragons and, surprise surprise, the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. He's also on the Caustic Soda podcast, discussing all types of disgusting things from Burns to Ted Bundy. Much like the legendary Cthulhu, the thickets can never really die. Instead, they wait, dreaming. In the meanwhile, let us listen to a few cuts from their body of work. There's so much going on. It's too fast. You see, Tori, that, that big, big head with the ears wobbling, man, I want to make the biggest Cthulhu up. It's so bad. This harmful Cthulhu outfit. Just, like, so big that you can stomp on people.
back to Dunwich tonight. As a matter of fact, I should get moving or I'll miss my bus.
Did You Know? Six Foot Plus was nominated for a Rondo Award. And Gravedigger's Local 16 wasn't? We want your votes. Vote now for Six Foot Plus and GDL 16 in this year's Rondo Awards. Go on over to www.rondoaward.com. Vote for Six Foot Plus in Best Horror Multimedia, Category 23, and write in GDL 16 in Best Blog, Category 18. Voting ends April 1st. Vote early and thank you from all of us here at GDL 16 and Six Foot Plus.
The Red Hook Horrors. Lovecraft's stay in Brooklyn really messed him up, almost as much as the characters in Poe's Telltale Heart. You heard the Nevermores with Hideous Eye. We've come to the end of another episode of Six Foot Plus. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Thanks go out to Dr. Gangrene and Thor for the debut of the Metal Morgue. And, as always, thank you, Monster Matt, for making our sides ache with both laughter and pain. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks, as usual. In the meantime, keep reading Gravedigger's Local 16, found online at gravediggerslocal.com. You can drop us a line by emailing contact at sixfootplus.com. We'd love to hear from you. For now, we leave you in the quiet room with the Vladimirs.
Six Foot Plus, Episode 25, The Phil, Lessent, Leech, and Eddie. Six Foot Plus is a GDL 16 production. All music used with permission. The theme song, Carpe Noctum, performed by the Madeira. Havala, Ivan. Urban Graveyard Lounge music provided by Kava Khan. Mahalo. Additional music also by Kava Khan. Monster Matt Patterson appeared as himself. The Metal Morgue was produced by Dr. Gangrene. For track listing, links, and info on all the bands, visit sixfootplus.com.